0: Yep, Pastor Carl's getting a little time off for the for his fall break, and I, get the, I, get, I love to, uh, I'm not sure I, I love to preach, because it's a little nerve-wracking, but what I do is I love the preparation, the preparation for preaching, that I do love. It's so awesome to dig into God's Word, and just to experience Him, and, and when, I just want you to know that when one of us preaches up here, Pastor Carl, or Pastor Tom, or Pastor Josh, or myself, it is, we spend time on our face. So what we bring to you, we want God to be talking, not us. Because trust me, on my own, I know I got, I got zip. But I know God does if, he, if I'm wise enough to listen to his word. And then when you come to church, you know, it's really important. We're, we're in the middle of a series called Anchored. It's really a walk through the book of Hebrews. And it, I don't know how you handle your devotions or how that looks out. And I surely hope you have time in the word every day. Because when you read the word, you're, you're, you're talking to God. You're spending time with God. And I don't know how you do that, but it'd be really cool if you, at the same time as we teach through uh, the book of Hebrews, that you'd be studying through it. So that at the end of this, you would say, you know what, I really know what the author of Hebrews was trying to say. And I really understand and discovered what the word God had for me as I read that. Are you with me on that? Really important as we study the book of Hebrews. Uh, just cr- crazy important. But can I just say that as we read the book of Hebrews, it's really an amazing book. It's a book like no other in the Bible. No other book links the Old Testament and the New Testament together in such a dramatic way as the book of Hebrews. Though the writer of Hebrews wasn't known to us, surely the people that he was writing to knew him, definitely knew him. Because he, you can tell by the word that he was bringing influence and encouragement and instruction to their life. Clearly the writer was a devout Jew and we know that because he just knew the word, the Old Testament. There's seven books that in the synagogue are super important. It's what they read in the synagogue every day. The first five is the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, anyone I grew up in the Jewish faith, knows those books and the stories in those books. Cold. There's two other books they, they read in synagogue regularly, too, and that's the book of Psalms and the book of, they call it the book of wisdom. We would call it the book of Proverbs. They know that. As we read Hebrews, the writer, a devout Jew in his time, clearly, and at some point had an unbelievable experience with God, so touched by God that he was willing to change his whole paradigm and go, not leave his Jewish faith, but to enhance it by saying, I believe the Messiah is with us, Jesus. But by doing that, the pressure on him had to be great. And the reason for the letter that he's writing back to the churches of other Christian Jews. And he's encouraging them. I know there's pressure on you. I know there's persecution. I know they're trying to bring you back to the Jewish faith. And to have you abandon your walk with Jesus. But I want to encourage you don't. Because that experience that you had at conversion is real. And don't lose it. And you're thinking well that was good for them. But that doesn't really happen to us. And I want to submit to you it does. I mean there's there's families in this church who have had such an encounter with Jesus and they were going to the Mormon church or any other church uh, that, was, that didn't, tr- uh, didn't believe in God, Jesus, they came to a, such a powerful experience with them, but they came to, to Christ, but their family is trying to draw them back. Are you hearing me? So when we read Hebrews, when you study Hebrews, you have to understand really clearly that this man had a powerful encounter with Jesus. He also, I just want to make sure that when, we read, when you're reading it, it's amazing how he links, he's always using the first five books of the Bible and Psalms as an illustration for us, as an encouragement to us. And as we look in the word this morning, it's uh, you, you, you have to understand that we're, we're at a place where he's saying... I want to warn you of a couple of things. Last week, we talked about the, the warning, do not drift. And if I could just read what the, the opening verse of chapter two, it says, so you must, we must listen very carefully. We, the children of God, must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard. Do not drift away from the Lord. You know, life circumstances, things happen, uh, just unattentive to our walk with the Lord, not spending time in his word, kind of letting circumstances go by, and all of a sudden, it's easy. We, 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 we do it. Almost everybody in this room, I'm sure, like, sometime in their faith, if they've been a Christian for any length of time, you felt that drift away from God. Oh, wait, I gotta I got re- got spend some time with the Lord. In a relationship. How many times people have come to me uh, in marriage counseling and said, oh, we just started drifting apart, and then look what happened. But the words telling us, we heard last, night, last week from Pastor Carl, don't allow yourself to drift. Make sure that the word of God and God's, your faith is strong and built around that. Are you here? But today's warning, I know it's interesting about warnings too. I meant to tell you this. When I think of warnings, you know, when I was growing up, warnings, yeah, that was just a suggestion. You know, the the, the most cautious among us look at every warning and, and heed it really carefully. But then there's people like me, nah, it's kind of a suggestion. Anybody with me on that? Okay, so, but when I think of warning, I think of something much more serious. I, I grew up in a home. Um, my wife calls it, and I'm going to find out how old this congregation is. My 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 wife says that I grew up in the Leave It to Beaver home. <laughs> if you're young, you have absolutely no idea what I just said. But it was a mo- it was a show on television, and you know, a very very uh, very traditional family. Love my parents, and I had two brothers. I have a twin twin brother and I had an older brother Ronnie who was 10 years older than I was and I want you to know that I really and maybe you have older siblings in your life but and and you look up to them too, because I really looked up to Ronnie he was he was uh somebody worth looking up to he was bigger than life to me I remember when I was like 12 or 13 years old he bought a Corvette you know a two-seater Corvette with a hard top convertible and he goes Robert you want to take a ride in it and I, I mean, I want you to know, I can, I can put myself in that car right this second. It meant that much to me. I mean, I just loved, you know, I just looked up to him. He was just so, just bigger than life. And, and he got, you know, he got married and went about his career. And, you know, I, I went around, you know, I did my thing, went through school. And, and then uh, I took my wife, Debbie, uh, on occasion. I, we had decided that we were gonna get married. So I said, let's go up to San Francisco. He lived outside of San Francisco. And let's go, I want you to meet my brother. And we went up to this community, and it was a gated community, and my wife goes, we, we actually know somebody that lives in here? <laughs> yeah, we do. My brother was extremely successful in life. He made, he had the Midas touch. He became the vice president of Del Monte Foods, and he lived in a place called Black Hawk in Northern California. If you don't know it, it's one of the most exclusive communities in America. Anybody that's anybody in the Southern, Northern California probably lives in Black Hawk. So it was, you know, he was, you know, I tell you that I, I, I would consider myself an overachiever. I mean, I barely got through high school. So whatever, whatever happened, I want you to know the motivation, the drive, the, you know, my bro, it was because I always wanted my brother to be proud of me. And then along the way, my mom was calling me and she said, hey, Robert, you gotta pray for Ronnie. He's got stomach, he's got a stomach problem. Pray for him. He, he, he's trying to deal with some real stomach, stomach issues. So I would and I was t- talking to my brother, oh yeah, I'm just changing my diet. I had too rich of a diet. You know, I'm just changing it. I'm, I'm you know, and I'm thinking he's probably taking Tums like they're Tic Tacs and drinking Pepto-Bosmo uh, regularly. But anyhow, he seemed to have got it under control, that it, that it wasn't a distraction in his life. He could control it and he was trying to self-manage it and away he went. But about a year later, uh, we found out, he went to the doctor and he found, we found out that he had stage four stomach cancer. And the doctor said, Ronnie, your body was screaming at you, warning you all this time. And you never paid attention to the warning. And I'm so sorry, but we can't operate. And your time on earth is coming to an end. And yep, at age 48, his kid's not totally grown. of course, they're just teenagers and in elementary school, he passed away. Devastating to the family. And I still remember my mom running to the doctor at the funeral. Because she she was thinking that I was hereditary that my son my brother and I would be able to be would be affected by it, and she he says no, all he needed to do was heed the warning, and he never did, and the and the end result was catastrophic. And as we read the word today, the writer is warning us: if you don't heed the warnings, children of God, believers, the consequences will be more than you could bear. And many of you looking at me, well, that'll never happen to me. I won't drift away. And today's word, today's warning is simple. Don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. The word's telling us today as we get into it, that if we turn our backs on God and do our own thing and put God way out there, that we will never find rest. Rest. I've been studying rest. I, as many of you know, that I, my wife and I went on a little sabbatical and I really went about understanding rest. And we were talking about Selah, we went through that whole series. But the rest, I'm, I'm really discovering in the word. I'm really discovering what God has for his children. The gift that he has for us. We never t- quite understand it. Because the rest of God is one that when we fully surrender to the Lord, when we fully trust him the result is a confidence to know that he has our back and and i see it all the way through the word if you really study the word really look at it adam and eve were in the garden if if you're if you're acquainted with your bible and you know the story of adam and eve god's desire for them was that they would just rest in him that would be just rest in him are you hearing me As we're going to read today, as the children of Israel were going to the promised land, he was giving them the promised land just so they could rest in him. God wants us just to rest in him. But as we know, living in this world today, that's not an easy thing to do. Surrendering to God is one of the hardest things that we can do. It just goes against everything that our culture wants of us. Are you hearing me? We want to say, Lord, we trust you completely, but we take the steering wheel of our life and we, go, we hold on to it with dear life. We put God in the back seat and we say, God, when I need y'all, let you know. And we drive all our lives. And God's saying, if you let me drive, if you let me drive, I promise you, we're gonna, you're going to have a life, amazing life of peace. So as we get in the word, that's the backdrop. The writer of Hebrews is trying to tell his readers and us today. Hebrews, the third chapter. Go there with me, would you? And as we go there, as you turn there, understanding it says, guard your heart. Your heart, your heart, the word says, describes your heart, not as the organ that's pumping blood, keeping you alive right now, but your heart is defined as the core of who you are. Your thought processes, your dreams, your desires, your passion, your, the uniqueness of you is wrapped up in your heart. And the word says in a Proverbs 4, it says this, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So the reader is saying, don't harden your heart. That means pay attention to what your thought processes are. And we'll develop that this morning. Hebrews, the third chapter. We're going to start in verse 7. If you have your Bibles, it says this. The writer is writing to his congregation. It says, this is why the Holy Spirit says today. Today you must listen to his voice. And when we hear the word today, you have to understand there's an immediacy about it. Like neon sign flashing off and on. This is important. And it's important for us right now. It says, don't harden your hearts against him as the Israelites did when they rebelled, when they tested God's patience in the wilderness. There your ancestors tried my patience even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them. And I said, their hearts turned away from me. They refused to do what I told them. So in my anger, I vowed that they would never find rest. So the writer is using a story that's so familiar to the Jewish, the Hebrew culture back then, the exodus out of Egypt. The exodus, this, the, the, Israel, the Jews, the Hebrew nation was in slavery in Egypt. I mean in slavery, like they were, they had no rights. And Moses through an amazing amount of of miracles. And if you go to Numbers 14 through about, chapter 14 through about 20, it just illuminates the story. But you have to understand, the Israelites, God got them out of Egypt through gigantic miracles, part of the Red Sea, and he took them away from the enslavement to freedom. They saw those miracles. They experienced those miracles. But along, along the way, they started going, I don't know. And I don't know if I totally believe this God thing. And they started feeling discontent, discouragement. In fact, it even says in one place, they decided to mold their own God and worship that. That's how far off. And then in one more place, it says, hey, let's just go back to Egypt. It was better there than it is here. After being in the embrace of God, that's how far off their hearts got hardened. And you're probably looking at me and go, that can never happen to me. I would never build an altar to, to worship. No way I'd do that. Really? We do though. Sometimes we build an altar of money and we spend our days trying to raise and earn and invest as much money as we can Every day we wake up, first thing goes on to CNBC and away we go. We're checking our portfolios. We're just focused on money. Money controls us. That's all that we think about. That's making money a God in your life. It might be Success. I want to be this person. I want to co- climb the corporate ladder. I want to be the best I can be. And you just, that becomes a driving force in your life. And you turn your back on God because this is more important. It might be a relationship. It might be your surf sessions. It might be your video games. But whatever it is that comes between you and God, that's an idol. And that's the start of hardening your heart to God. It says this, if I can just read this, the writer of Hebrews, uh, in Hebrews, the third chapter, says to finish that thought in in verse 12, it says, be careful then, brothers and sisters, make sure that your hearts, your own hearts do not have evil and unbelief turning you away from the living God. But you don't get to evil and unbelief overnight, especially as a child of God. There's a process. And the seed of a hardened heart and unbelief is doubt. Every single person in this room experiences doubt in your life. Are you with me? I, I have, and I know you have been reading the word. You could be in a devotional time and all of a sudden a thought comes, is there really a God? Is this for real? I really believe this and the seed of doubt is planted possibly somebody in your life maybe even you lost a child or a loved one and you're going well if there's really a God he wouldn't have done that maybe you lost a job maybe you lost a marriage maybe you're trying to find a mate and you're and you're just trying to do it and nothing's happening and you're going if God really loved me he'd do something there's no God feeling me? every single one of us, the seed moving towards unbelief and a hardened heart starts with doubt. Heck, by the way, doubt is in the Bible. Read Job sometime. This guy really doubted God. Many times cried out, if you're a real God, you wouldn't have done that. Read Lamentations. I bet none of you've gone to Lamentations any time late, but it's really the lament of the Jewish faith, They're the Israelites, lamenting, "Oh God, you—if you were real, look at Peter. He gets out of the boat, and all of a sudden, oh, I don't, I'm doubting. I'm doubting. And guess what? What do you do? Sink. Okay. How about Thomas? He actually has a first name. What is that name? Doubting Thomas. He tells the disciples, hey, I'll believe in God when I can see him. I'll believe in Jesus if I can really see him. Okay, look at me. And he proved that he was. By the way, just built in the Western culture of which you're part of, we are all there. We live life through a little filter called seeing is believing. Like it or not, the filter in which we live is seeing is believing. That's why doubt can take over. Can I just submit to this to you? Faith without doubt isn't faith. Hmm? You're thinking, what did you say? Catch me on this. Faith without doubt isn't faith. Light wouldn't be light if we didn't understand darkness. It would just be light. But we, know, we now faith, we have faith in light because of darkness. Do you understand? But the problem is, faith uh, as the seeds of doubt, when we allow them to become unbelief is when we really get in trouble. Let me tell you about doubt, because there was a time in my life that I really, really experienced serious doubt. And I was on staff here. I went through a real struggle with doubt once in my life here, uh, once in my time here, uh, I've been here for 30 years on staff. Awesome life. But, no, no, don't clap, don't clap, don't clap. It's my good fortune. But there was a time that I was responsible for getting us up on this hill. Part of my job was getting, we, we had leased a mountain. This was a mountain. This didn't come ready made. We leased a mountain back in about 1985. We, we leased 9.2 acres of land from the Fathers of the Sacred Heart, who are our neighbors over there. And this was a mountain. We had to develop a mountain, so we got architects together and all that went with that, drawing the plans and getting the plans together, so that we could take those plans to the city and start the development process. And we did that. We started that. And, and by the way, just showing you the know, life of the church back then. anybody Anybody with us back way back then? Yeah. Only a few people. But by the way, that was, you know, every week we'd be talking about this for several years. We raised $3 million from a congregation. We talked about it. So we are taking our plans. Everybody's excited. We're taking our plans. In fact, one of the people in the church actually knew, here's a name from the past, Mayor Fossey. Some of you have no idea who that man is, but he was a character. He was the mayor of the city and county of Honolulu. And he had known himself, just as, just as we were bringing the plans in, he says, Rob, let's go down and meet the mayor. Grease the wheel as we take the plans in. I said, let's go. So we were sitting down with Mayor Fossey and he was going, you know, Hope Chapel is such an intricate part of that community on the Windward side. I am with you all the way. I'll have your back. Here's my phone number. Call me anytime you need me. I'm thinking, yeah, send the plans in. So we go through this process. I can't tell you exactly what time it was, time frame, but all of a sudden I got a call. I believe it was Ben Gutierrez way back then, the newsman still today. Some news person called me though in the middle of the day and go, hey, can you give me a statement on what the neighbors are going to protest tonight? What are your thoughts on that? I'm going, huh? <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, there's a big protest tonight and it's going to be in your community right at the entrance to your, your, your development. The, the driveway you drove up was not the given access to this property. You drove through the neighborhood, up Upele, and boom, you're on our property. And they, the whole neighborhood came out, this big polling signs and the news cameras are out there and they're going, no Hope Chapel, no Hope Chapel, you know, that whole drama. <laughs> so we find ourselves in that, in that deal. But I got the mayor on my back pocket thinking he'll get us through this. So he calls me into his office a few days later. He goes, Rob, you can do whatever you want on that property, but you just can't drive through the neighborhood. Now, I just said that in two seconds, I know, but I can't tell you. I mean, literally, physically, the people that were with me saw me turn white. I slumped in my chair. I couldn't even get myself out of the chair. I was in complete despair like that, because I knew I had to go tell my bosses, the board, and we had to tell the congregation. And this is what we were thinking, too. We're gonna abandon this property. We'll have to abandon it. Well, it wasn't God's will for us. We are wrong. Do you know for a pastor how hard that is? I was seriously believing if there was a God. Seriously believing. Oh God, how did why? What? And I really I wanted despair. And then a lady in our congregation called me. Hey, my dad's come into town. Can you show him the building project? We are going to announce that weekend that we were thinking about abandoning the project. That's, this is true. She goes, hey, my dad's coming to town. Can, can you show him the project? He moves dirt for a living. He just wants to see what you guys are going to do. Now, just just make a side note, hang in there. Don't lose me. In Hebrews, I believe it's in the first chapter, it says that the Lord sends angels to his children. I mean, he says, ministering spirits. It says that in Hebrews, if you're a student of Hebrews. It says that he sends us angels. Can I say that he sends us guardian angels to protect us? Possibly you've experienced that in your time. It's in the word. That's not fake. That's not, that's not a fairy tale. The word says he sends angels. Bryant Smith, this lady's father, was an angel. He came he goes, I want to walk in the property on Saturday. He was 76 years old, a big Oklahoman. I mean, you know, praise God. <laughs> okay, you got him in your head? Okay. Not a small man, not a young man. And so I said, oh, you know, I'd love to show you the property, but we got more immediate needs than that. Uh, and he, so I talked to him. He goes, okay, let's go walk all our options. I said, I don't even know of one. Where would we start? He goes, oh, we had of options. God's a God of miracles. Okay, brother. <laughs> At that time I was way more listening to our engineers than anyone else. We do that, by the way. We think of our, our own thoughts are more important are, are better than God's. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> so Brian Smith Brian Smith starts walking. So he goes up to the Father's Sacred Heart and right across there's a big ravine of drainage ravine up to our property. Then he goes over to the state hospital and there's another deep ravine through forest, and the whole nine yards. And I'm literally thinking this, if this guy drops, I'll never get him out of here. <laughs> I'm not joking. Because I mean, I'm, I was at the time 40, about 40 years old, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm tired. And then we go up this way, the way you drove up this morning, and we walk in, and back then, hey, can you throw one picture, of the, just throw one pictures of that driveway up there, just throw one, I, I don't have a lot of time, so that's what it looked like, that's the entrance, so that first floor, that, that California grass right there, you walk in and you sink up to your knees, it's wetlands. I don't know if you know this, but you will after you leave here, President Reagan declared back in his day, no loss of wetlands so to that's wetlands so we had to replace that wetlands so a whole series of miracles start unfolding let me go back to bryant smith this is more important with him so he looks at all these options goes rob i'm gonna meet with my i'm leaving on sunday morning i'm going back monday and i'm gonna say i'm gonna have my prayer team pray for you and i'm gonna have an answer for you mid-morning uh-huh sure Because I know what the engineers said. There is no other way. They clearly said that. And we had some brilliant engineers. Because they were going to build a mountain, they are going to turn this mountain into a campus. So I knew these guys knew what they're talking about. He calls me when he said he would, about nine o'clock on a Monday morning, three hours in California, dist- difference. My prayer team has met. They have declared, the Lord has declared that you will go through the wetlands and the conservation land. Really. Really. That's what I'm thinking. I am, in, I, am in dis, I am in the despair of doubt. Are you hearing me? Yeah. I'm thinking better to abandon ship with, instead of spending money, we're going to abandon it. So our engineer, I called my engineer this morning. Hey, Calvin, I know you don't think this is possible, but can you at least explore the option of going up to wetlands? Rob, we don't want to waste that money. That would cost, that study would be so expensive and it would be so futile. Don't do it. I go, yeah, I know, Cal. But having a good authority, it's the right way to go. That's exactly what I told him. And he's not a believer. You drove up the driveway this morning. You drove up that driveway. I want you to know that that was a very dark time in the life of this church and for sure me and the staff. But God opened miraculous doors, miraculous doors But if we had allowed doubt to really take hold and listen to Paul Bryant uh, Bryant Smith, we would have abandoned the project and gone on to something else. Are you hearing me? If we had let the seeds of doubt take hold. Because when you allow the seeds of doubt to take hold and it really blossoms and all of a sudden life's circumstances look so, you start being discontented with life. Discouraged. And then it turns into full-on sin because then you take back control and you take control of your life and you put God out of your life like the Israelites did in the desert. They took God and took him completely out. To protect your heart from hardening, you have to never forget that God's in charge. And when doubt really takes hold, You've got to give it to God. God, do you, think, doesn't, do you think that God's afraid of your doubt? God's a big God. He created the universe. He created you. He's okay with your doubt. And when I find doubt, I said, Lord, I really love you to reveal yourself to me today. And that's when I go into the word. And he does. He does. It's an amazing thing. Look at, turn to Hebrews, the fourth uh, chapter. Hebrews 4. If, you're, if you brought a Bible, we don't normally do that these days, but if you're on your phone, Get the Hebrews four, really important. Really important. Hebrews four twelve. Listen to this. This is to prevent ever having a hardened heart. This is to prevent it. It says this in Romans 4.12. It says, the word of God is alive and powerful. That means the Lord, this is not a group of words and that's all it is. This words in this book are alive and powerful. That means God wants to speak to you, encourage you, direct you through this word. You're going to feel his embrace as you read the word. How many times do we woke up in the morning and go, Lord, I want to read your word today. And all of a sudden... Like got busy, really busy. Kids got to get to school. Didn't wake up on time. I'll do it tomorrow, God. And then tomorrow. Anybody with me on that? That's the enemy knows, knows, knows the power of this book. Knows it. The last thing the enemy wants you to do is understand this book. But it says it's alive and powerful. It says this. It is sharper than Uh, the the sharpest two-edged sword it cuts soul and spirit between joint and marrow it exposes your innermost thoughts and desires nothing in all creation is hidden from God everything is naked and exposed before his eyes and he is the one to whom we are accountable I want you to know when you start allowing doubt to take seed and it turns into unbelief you're going to have to take a serious authentic look at yourself and say Lord, Lord, I need you I need you. I need you. This is where it's so important that you have to understand that when sin enters the camp, the Lord gives us a way out. And that's forgiveness. And the Lord says, and let me read it for you. I so had to go by my notes this morning, and now the Lord's taking me completely off guard here. Uh, it says this if you're if you're faithful to confess your sins to God. In James, it says, if, he, if you're faithful to forgive, ask for forgiveness, he's faithful to forgive you. It's an amazing thing that the Lord would want your embrace. He wants to embrace you. He wants to embrace you. But if the enemy can get your heart, heart hardened against him, he knows he has you where he wants you. Are you hearing me on that? When you're feeling, let me say it this way. We just went through the Selah series. When you feel, when you pause your life long enough to be present in every situation, God's blessing is going to be so apparent to you. You'll see God in everything. But when you're so busy and you're feeling discontent and discouragement, you see God in nothing. Are you hearing me? Just slow down and know that God wants to reveal himself to you in every way, but mostly through his word. Mostly through his word. So to prevent prevent a hardened heart, you have to experience this word. But the the, 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 the most fantastic thing that we read this morning was this. Using the Israelites as an example, he says that they never entered the promised rest. So, To turn that around, it says, when we really experience God and we trust God and God is, we're all in for God, we are able to experience amazing rest. Are you hearing me? The word says that his peace will surpass all understanding. All understanding. That means whatever comes at us in life, however the strong storms of life come at us, we will still find rest. That's why we've called this series Anchored. Because when we understand that if we are tied to Jesus, no matter how hard the storms, we will be protected. That rest is something that we should look forward to. The ultimate rest he has for his kids, do you know what that is? Eternity. Eternity. The ultimate rest for his children Is eternity. If you really understand eternity and you were to be able to be mature enough in your walk with God to never take your eyes off eternity, your life would be completely different because decisions and thought processes, if you had your eyes focused on eternity. The word even said in Hebrews in the second, the first chapter, it says that not even the worry of death will get in the way. Many of us worry about that stuff but when your eyes are focused on eternity, on Jesus, you will find ultimate rest. I want to read a scripture for you as we come to a close here. We want to take communion this morning too and so the ushers can start getting prepared for that. And This is a most amazing verse of scripture I'm talking about because if you allow your heart to stay close and tender to God, there's a rest. And the psalmist writes about it here. So when your heart is really open to God, you're surrendered to him, here's the rest that you can expect. In Psalm 91, it says, those who live in the shelter of the Most High, that means those who live in the protection of the Lord, will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from every deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers and his shelter and shelter you with his wings. His faithful protection are your armor of protection. Don't be afraid of the arrows, the terrors at night or the, of the arrows that fly by day. Do not dread disease that stalks you in the darkness or destroys you in midday it says this if you make the Lord your refuge if you make the most high your shelter no evil will conquer you no plague will come near your home he will send his angels to protect you the Lord says I will rescue those who love me I will protect those who trust in my name when they call on me I will answer they will not see trouble I will rescue and honor them and reward them for a long life given to me Lord, in Jesus' name and by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that we would never get to a place that our heart would be hardened to you. That we would, Lord, listen to the warning that this author is trying to tell his children that a hardened heart can happen faster than we think. And Lord, we bind the enemy in Jesus' name from any attack that he'd throw at our minds and our hearts. Our desire, Lord, is to be completely sold out to you, all in, complete trust and surrender to you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to get there. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises that you'll always love us and protect us no matter what. Lord, we acknowledge today that you chose us to be your children. And Lord, that we know that you want everything good to happen for us. And Lord, there might be people in this room today that have never come to a place where they said, Lord into my heart. Because that is a transaction that needs to be made. You have to choose. Choose. It has to be a willful choice to choose to have God in your life. You might be a person in this room today who's hardened their hearts to God. You might have known Him once, but now you're just hardened. You're far from God. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to come to his saving grace and mercy and forgiveness in your life. So if you've far from God or you've never actually received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never asked God to be a part of your life. I want to give you an option, opportunity to do that right now. And I'm going to count to three. And how we do this around here is everybody, every head's bowed. You just raise your hand and then I'm going to pray for you. So if you're feeling that the Lord's really tugging on you right now, don't worry about anything but just obeying God. One, two, three. Raise your hand right now. Yes, I see you. One, two, three, four. Five. pray with me right now Lord in Jesus name and by the power of your Holy Spirit your word says Lord that from your glorious unlimited resources that you'll give us a mighty inner strength through your Holy Spirit and I pray for these people who have just raised their hands that you would enter their heart right now and forgive them of their sins Lord I pray Lord that you Lord would so mightily move in their lives that this day this day would be a day that they would never forget because that you've touched them so deeply. You revealed, your, you revealed yourself to them so mightily. I pray, Lord, that you would move in their life, Lord. Allow them to be read the word and speak to them through your word. In Jesus' precious name, we all said, amen. Good, that's awesome. And by the way, if you just prayed with me, we have a Bible for you. We'd love you to hang out, at the, go at the Connect Center. We're going to start passing communion right now. And I don't want, if you're not ready to take communion this morning, if you're not in a place that you want to do that, just because we're passing it does not mean that that's something that you're forcing you to do. But we, as a, this congregation, this this service has gotten so big that it's really hard for us to do it the traditional way. So we want to take it as a church family this morning. So as they pass it, communion is, a, is a, you know, it's really awesome that we're in the book of Hebrews because the Hebrews, when he's talking, he's talking about some of the, the scriptures he uses about the Old Testament. And that's really the old covenant that God made between him and his children. That we, they would sacrifice animals for the forgiveness of sin. And, and, and be able to go to the synagogue and ask the priest to pray for them. But Jesus died for us. He changed our world upside down and gave us a new covenant that says that all we need to do is acknowledge that Jesus died for our sins. And as we take communion this morning, you know, it's kind of interesting. In the, in the Christian faith, God has us do some unusual things. I think that baptism might be a little on the unusual side. Anybody with me on that? You have to go to the beach and, or go in the water and you have to dunk and come out. But I believe that when we baptize, I believe something spiritual happens in a realm we don't understand at all. But something supernatural happens when we're willing to declare that we've died to our old self and we come out of that water new. And when we take communion, we're doing the same thing. We're saying, we're doing something unusual, but something supernatural. We're recommitting ourselves to the covenant God made with us. We're acknowledging that there was a covenant made and that we believe Jesus died for us. And the word tells us to do it. Let me read it for you. It says this. It says this. In 1 Corinthians, it says, For I pass on to you, this is Paul speaking, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night before he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body, which I have given for you. Do this. In remembrance of me. In the same way he took a cup of wine after supper saying, this is a cup of the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed by my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he recomes. What we're saying is, May I have some communion too, please? Can I have the elements? What we're saying when we take communion is, Lord, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for loving me and caring for me. Thank you, Jimmy. So what we're gonna do here is, we're gonna take it together, but I want us to spend a little, let's have a little time to ourselves here. So it might be a, it's gonna be a few minutes of silence if, might even feel a little awkward to you because it's going to be so quiet in here, but I want us to do business with God right now as we prepare our hearts to take communion and remembrance of what God did on the cross for us. So let's quietly talk to God, wherever you're at, whatever your needs are, go ahead. Take this bread, this cracker, as a sign of our acknowledgement that you were broken for us when we were still sinners, when we didn't deserve it, you were willing to die for us. So, Lord, as we as a congregation take this bread right now, we say, Lord, thank you. So, Lord, we. We take this cup that represents your blood. It says, Lord, because you spilt this blood, we always stand before you, no matter what we did, as clean and your children. You did that for us, Lord. We acknowledge that you died for us. We thank you for dying for us. We thank you for choosing us to be your kids. In Jesus' name. Is that good? We take communion. The word says in Ephesians the third chapter two that God will do will do infinitely more than we could ever dare dream, ask or hope through His Holy Spirit at work in us. And I pray that on all of us today in our lives that we would God would blow our minds and what He would do through us and with us. As you leave today, just take that cup that you just had and just kind of take it and throw it out as you walk out. Well what a what an awesome time to take communion, but also to say, Lord. You are so worthy. So let's stand and worship our Lord together.